Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Oatari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who is most definitely actually a great ape. <laughs> uh, you've uh, you've misread your your notes, I believe, I uh, or or wherever you got this information. I'm actually grape ape. The, uh, oh right, okay. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, I well, I I actually am about ten percent uh, blueberry. Before we get to the movie this week, I want to talk about our Patreon, patreon.com slash lost. Oh, that wasn't Criterion. it. What we just did wasn't, wasn't no, that. No, no. What we just did was not talking oh, about our bad. Patreon, as it turns out. Uh, over there at uh, patreon.com slash lost in Criterion, for just a dollar a month, you get access to a, uh, a bonus episode. We do a non Criterion film over there. The supporters get to vote on what movie we're going to do. Sometimes the supporters even suggest the poll. Uh, but one option on every poll, no matter what the theme is, whatever we're thinking with the rest of them, uh, one option is always Kazam, the 1996 children's movie starring Shaquille O'Neal as a genie. Uh, they made us watch Kazam a couple of times. Uh, yeah, and I feel like I've been let down because I, like, I, the first time it happened, I just bought it because I was like, well, shit, this is going to yeah. happen all the time. <laughs> you're gonna, and you're I feel like I haven't gotten again. my money's worth, frankly. You haven't. You haven't really. You should have. Should have just recorded that off of TNT. No, uh, <laughs> let's let's not get into why that's not an option. <laughs> I should have recorded on uh, T- TNT when I was what in like yeah, high school yeah. and brought it with me on a VHS tape. Right, should have remembered that. Uh, but yeah, uh, <laughs> that's the dollar tier. Uh, we watch a lot of great movies over there. A lot of fun movies. Uh, a lot of a lot of just interesting stuff. Just the way it yeah, all they plays mostly together. don't torture us ninety five percent of the time, yeah, ninety five percent of the time, and then sometimes we watch some of the worst movies ever made, yeah, well, I mean, to be fair, that's almost exclusively your fault, yes, because, because when I they put choose the bad list. movies, it's almost exclusively because you made a list of bad movies, right that right, you right. I don't know My, fever dream, I'm gonna say the, oh, no, know. the best example of that was I decided to make a list where it was all movies that shared titles with movies in the oh, Criterion God. Collection. Uh, one of my best lists. One uh, of my best lists. But because of that, we ended up watching the Will Ferrell starring fuck. kicking and screaming uh, soccer movie. Oh, it's the uh, worst movie I've is, ever seen in my entire just very life. Bad. It's just very bad. I, I uh, swear, like, oh, man, that, that movie. Yeah. Maybe, maybe if I could block that memory out, that would be great. Yeah, uh, so that's the one dollar level, and we're very grateful to all the one dollar supporters. But a little bit above that, at five dollars a month, we promise to thank those people on air. And currently, this is a very short section because there's no one at a five dollar mark. Uh, because uh, in the last couple weeks, last uh, well, I've been saying that for like six weeks now. Yeah. Uh, but but over the last uh, last couple months, all of our five dollar supporters have popped up to uh ten dollars and above and what we do at ten dollars and above is really really i think very special pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we've watched recently usually on the main podcast but occasionally 
uh, one of the bonus. Every so uh, often, I, because of Usually, the timing, it's if it's a bonus one, that. it's a Christmas one. Almost, yeah, almost yeah, invariably, the it's the end of the year bonus. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, but he makes a piece of art. I get that printed up on a postcard and then uh, mail that off. So uh, if you're in America, uh, support the UP- USPS. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I hate to say is, it, but probably yeah. no one's ever getting these postcards ever again. <laughs> right. I'm not... It is not financially viable for me to spend $5 to mail a postcard, so... Like, uh, well, and then when you consider the fact that um, all of those companies use the USPS as, like, as a sort of backup chain right, because they right. do not actually have enough staff to do the thing they say they're going to do. Right. Like, almost all of those companies that are not the USPS just eventually ship the last mile with the USPS anyway. Right. Uh, especially right. if it's just paper mail. Um, right. To the point where, like, I mean, I'm sorry you guys aren't going to get the cards anymore. I mean, we'll be sending them. <laughs> and I assume they'll just arrive in bulk at some point. You'll just be like, right, right. get home one day from work and they'll be three like six months worth of cards just in your mailbox eventually it will it will will reach a tipping point where it's finally cost effective to take them to your house (laughs) yeah right it's gonna be like a whole stack of them um and like they'll they'll be in various states of decay you'll be able to like look at them like tree rings and be like ah yes this one was (laughs) september 2020 it'll be great but back before back before the happening Yes, um, but that is yeah. that is ten dollars and above, and we are reliant on the postal service for that. <laughs> Alas, so please, uh, yes, we are. If you weren't already inclined, for our sake, please support the postal service. So, thank you very much to our latest ten dollars supporter, Patrick Yako, uh, who uh, who just started uh, this month as of the recording, but uh, but last month I think by the time this actually posts, maybe even two months ago. I think this might be early I September. Have no idea what number we're on at this point. I have no idea how far ahead we are at this point. Um, that's the the weird the weird side effect of this pandemic is that we've had very few scheduling conflicts. Yeah, <laughs> so, just do it whenever. So we're we're actually pretty far ahead on the recording schedule, which is uh, its own its own other problem. So, uh, but yeah, thank you so much, uh, Patrick, for signing up. Uh, also, big thanks to Jonathan Hape, uh, Adam Spickerman, uh, Michael McGrath, Jason Westhaver, and Christopher Otto, who are all yes, ten dollars and above supporters. Uh, so grateful for enjoy that getting your us. stack of postcards in six years yeah yeah whenever whenever that happens uh i'm gonna Listen, derail this podcast really hard right now so a yeah. thing that happens in japan uh at new year's is everybody sends new year's cards to a list of people that they've made it's like christmas cards in america but on a different a radically different scale because it's yeah. postcards they're very cheap and so for example my wife prints 400 every year and that's her Excellent. list. I have another list of 150 that I send. Okay? So we design the postcard every year, and we mail it off to everybody we know uh, who's on that list. And it's because it, it, it's like it's a nothing. Where you don't write a, a mess, an individual message except for to like right. really people right. you want to write an individual message to. Everybody just gets the same postcard. It's just an update. People do it in Japan when they move houses and stuff, too. You get a mail, a postcard in the mail saying, like, we moved and stuff like that. Or like, uh, oh, this really big, important life event happened. It's very common. And it's a big service in Japan. It's part of the New Year celebration in Japan. Everybody does it every year. Uh, but what that means is you'll get home from work, like, on the 1st or the 2nd. Oh, no, you won't get home from work because it won't be work, uh, usually. But you'll be like, go out to your mailbox, and there'll be a, I'm not even joking, 
a four inch thick stack of postcards in your mailbox that are rubber banded together because that's how the post office delivers these. They like I love that. bundle them all up and they're like, here you go, here's your postcards. And it's it is a brick of postcards that you then sit Very with nice. your your family sorting through like one by one, being like, okay, this one, you know, like and you all like it's a whole event, right? You all look at all the postcards from all the people, right? And like yeah, no, but yeah. A four I'm I don't even like it looks like like a block of cheese you would buy from like Costco of postcards. It's crazy. So that I just you, you guys are going to get that in like six years. Is what I'm saying. I hope so. So that is Patreon.com/slash Lost in Criterion. If you want to get involved with that, this week we are talking about another Lindsay Anderson movie. We uh, talked about which was the first one. Oh, oh that was the um, the school shooting movie. Right? If yes, yeah. our only other one, and uh, and you may recall that If contained one of his documentaries, uh, Thursday's Children. Oh God, uh, that one. Yes. Well, again, as I've discussed before, like it is, it was fascinating in the sort of yeah. way that like watching horrible things happen in this world can be fascinating. <laughs> uh, Oddly enough, but, the documentary on this one was also that kind of way, but in a different way. Yeah, it's it's actually interesting because the Criterion Channel had one documentary, but the the DVD release actually has a a couple. Oh, okay. Well, I um, only watched the one about conveyor yeah. belts. Yeah, so the one the one on the Criterion Channel is his very first movie, period, um, <clears throat> which is a, uh, a half-hour short on, uh, yeah, uh, mining technology what, uh, no. called Meet the Pioneers. Let's be clear here. It's, it does meander quite a bit. Uh, yes. It is specifically about movers and, and yes. conveyor belts. Conveyors. Uh, it yes. goes pretty far afield of mining tech by the time we get to the end uh that's fair boy is it proud of the amount that it can cut the labor force boy it talks about that a lot yes this is a movie that is very distinctly although probably very hyper unaware of (laughs) anti-worker it's like companies were the average company was able to cut its workforce by 30 percent thanks to our devices it's like that's like yes. not a thing you're supposed to be proud of. Big investment, but it's one guy, one guy replacing twenty guys. So yeah. this can be uh, operated by one person in a shed alone, crying with a cigarette. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I guess yeah, that's so. basically it. You you you've got an accurate feel of Meet the Pioneers. Uh, Meet the Pioneers also was uh, um, is financed by. Uh, Lindsay happened to meet and become friends with the wife and co-owner of the uh, the company that made those conveyors. So, uh, uh, the husband uh, invented them. Um, was a former former. Um, I take minor to the idea that he invented conveyor belts. He did not invent conveyor belts so much. He invented as sticking them in holes. He and being like, look at what I made, guys. <laughs> yes. Hey, listen, before he stuck those conveyor belts in holes, no one believed you could put a conveyor belt in holes. So, yeah, they laughed that. at me, but I proved them all wrong. I put my conveyor <laughs> yes. belt in the hole. Yes. Uh, also on the DVD, uh, and unfortunately not on Criterion Channel, so uh, we didn't get to watch, uh, is Wakefield Express, uh, another early documentary from him from 1952, um, <clears throat> which is uh, about the newspaper in Wakefield, uh, 
Wakefield is the town that the sporting life is uh, is filmed in, by the way. Okay. Um, and then uh, most disappointing to me, uh, the third documentary on here is called Is That All There Is? And it was uh, Anderson's last work. It is an autobiographical documentary about his own career uh, put out in 1992, uh, which... I I feel like I I wish I had had a chance to find a different copy of that since it doesn't seem to be on Criterion Channel. Uh, there's also a chance that it is on the Criterion Channel. It's just in some weird corner in a Criterion Channel. Yeah, their they search function is not great. Yeah, so well they do that thing like they like try to do that thing where they link all the things that are on the DVD together, but then they sometimes yeah. drop the ball and it's just not there. Right, right. Even though they have it. Yes, even though it's on the page, it's just not linked conveniently, and then it's hard to find it less conveniently. But yeah, um, but this is uh, yes. this is this this sporting life. Uh, is it called this? It, oh, it is called this sporting life. I've been yes, calling it this sporting, sporting life the whole time. I'm sorry you've you've been missing the first the first. I word. I mean I've mostly just been thinking about December songs since we yes. knew that we were going to watch this for like. <laughs> I don't know, I've been right. thinking about it for like right. three weeks now. Right. Yeah. Uh, I was is really the... hoping that the song was based on this, and it's not, which is a disappointment. Right, right. Well, Billy Liar was a little more closely in- True. inspired yeah, by, I, mean, I suppose. Yes, but, but... Like, I mean, but the one that's called Sporting Life, one would hope, was. Yes. But yes. it's not. <laughs> uh, this is a 1963 film. It is... Based on a 1960 novel by the same of the same name by David Story. Story was himself a former uh, rugby player, a former miner. I don't know how autobiographical the novel is beyond that. Uh, Story, interestingly, um, used his rugby career to go to art school, and it was after he was in art school that he wrote the novel. Uh, uh, the novel won the Macmillan Fiction Award in 1960. Um, uh, uh, yeah, Anderson, I mean, Anderson on the novel says he seeks to penetrate the soul, yet he never forgets the relevance of the social world in which the soul meets. Conflict and struggle. He labors to balance the ambiguities of our nature, male and female, tenderness and violence, isolation and love which i think says a lot more about anderson than it does necessarily about story yeah (laughs) maybe uh but yeah that makes this another in the long run of mid-century battle of the sexes uh boy i'm getting tired of these man let me tell you woof man these are i did not know what i was signing up for like we have have watched so many like i i i mean okay I would like to be very clear about something. The Wikipedia page for the Sporting Life novel is literally just a stub. <laughs> so we are watching a movie based on a Wikipedia stub, basically, which I think is a bad sign. <laughs> that no one has <laughs> ever loved this book enough to be like, I got to go in here and fill this shit in. Like, I am a yep. David Story expert. And I've read this sporting life thousands of times. I better go put it in here. Like, 
whenever we hit a stub on Wikipedia, I feel like, oh boy, we've walked down a weird dark alley now, <laughs> boys. Like, I, it, I know it's not a perfect sign, but it, it does feel like it, right? Because, like, this. Yeah. It feels like there was a time period where people would just make a movie out of any old fucking novel you wrote. When I crank this out on a weekend, you want to make a movie about it? It's about the battle of the sexes. <laughs> Women are from Venus. Men are from Mars. Am I right, boys? And then they all punch each other in the shoulder. Um, actually, they punch the girls in the shoulder because that always happens in these movies. <laughs> uh, shoulders are better than faces, Pat. Well, I was um, being hyperbolic. I meant face. Yeah. I was just, yes. you know, I had already said shoulder, and, you know, I was yeah. trying to be like kind of – I was trying to kind of – create a sort of parallelism in what I said. Uh, it's right. mostly faces. Um, yeah. I have a question, and yes. I know the answer to this question, and I, but I really feel like I need to articulate it. Were, pe- were men just violently punching women? Like, are, I mean, I know they are still doing this. I'm aware of this. But, like, my own personal life experience has, n- has never actually included a man punching a woman in the face. Uh-huh. And so I find it, this is a weird hurdle I've always had a trouble to get over in these movies, is I understand that violence against women is a humongous problem that is happening constantly around the world. Right. But I've never seen it, which means, like, when I see the movies, I'm like, what is this, ha- what is happening here? Why does every director be like, well, now we got to get on to our punch the woman in the face scene. Bill, get over here. Tracy, line up. I where it particularly gets me and uh and the sporting life is certainly an example of this is when it is presented in a way that implies that violence against women in that manner is so normalized in society. Yeah, that's what I'm trying yeah. No, that totally. someone someone who commits that act of violence is still meant to be the hero, uh, the hero, still meant to have our sympathies as viewers, um, and that's not. I mean, not certainly not every movie. The main character is a hero or meant to have our sympathies throughout the entire thing. Uh, this sporting life is one where the main character. Well, is meant to he's have our meant sympathy. to. What I yeah. have about zero for Frank Manchin here, but uh, Manchin, Manchin. Um, yeah. But no, like. Well, I, I, I was getting at the same thing. I was kind of being flippant about it. Right, I, right, I right. I kind of regret that. No, I but, like, I, I don't under... Like, it's just a thing that's just, like... Like, every director seems to feel like, in movies of this era, of this type, that, like, that's just a... I mean, hey, guys, it's just a part of life. I've got to... I mean, I've got to have the punch the woman in the face scene... Because right. we all know it happens. I mean, like, I do. I go home and I, like, I don't understand. Did no single director in the 1960s, 1950s, 1960s have a relationship in which they would be like, why would this man punch this woman in the face? You, you know what I'm saying? Right. Like, was that, because it feels like not punching women in the face is the abnormal behavior According to all movies made in 1950 through 1960, <laughs> right. you know what I'm saying, right? Like, and 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 the Criterion Collection has only reinforced this impression for me, because every one of these movies has that scene in it, right? 
Right. And and it's obvious that even in the era, people knew that was bad, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, here's the thing. Like, punching people in general is bad. <laughs> like, go with that, yeah. Well, I mean, what I'm saying is, is like, you don't even have to have acquired an, uh, an awareness of what's going on to reach, you know what I mean? Like, you don't even have to have reached a higher level of thinking. They're like, why is this guy just punching people? Right. Like, why is he just, well, A, I mean, in general, but then B, like, like I don't know. This just, I don't know. I'm just, we've seen so many of these movies at this point. I, I feel like I'm a little bit fried on <laughs> this kind of, and I know it's just a million more coming. I know that it's just an endless slog of these because, again, every Tom, Dick, and Harry who wrote a Battle of the Sexes, like, introspection on the modern society novel in the 1950s and 1960s apparently got a movie made yeah and apparently all of the movies and i assume all the books have at least one part where a guy punches a woman in the face i don't, I don't understand i don't i i mean again i understand this is a part of life in the real world and i and i get it it's just like has no director got one of these books and be like well i'm gonna have to cut this scene out because like what the fuck's wrong with you people? Yeah. This is a character who is defined by his violent outbursts, right? Yeah. He, his initial response to almost any emotion is to act violently on it. Uh, and to suggest, as Anderson's quote about the novel suggests that this is the balance is to suggest that he is one end of a spectrum that his landlady is the other end of, right? Um, and he's... And, okay, yeah, go ahead. I, I, just, I have... I can't... Yeah. Right. Frank is too much. But no one in the world of this novel or of the of the story we're seeing ever implies Frank is too much, right? There's well, a couple. There's a couple. There are a couple moments, like, particularly with. But women. they're they're so stin they're so tinged with like class politics and stuff that like yeah, you can't separate them out. Like a couple people, like the well, like when they're at the restaurant and the one yes. person's like, well, eventually everybody finds out eventually that Frank is. I forget what they exactly say, but they imply that eventually everybody is disappointed with Frank. Right. Like, they, they thought they saw something in Frank, and then it turns out to not be there. Um, but again, it's so tinged with class politics that, like, the words of the people in that group in this movie are, like, garbage. They're just garbage words. They're all, they're terrible people. Um, right. So, you know, we can't, it is disappointing for them to provide all that expression of that then again like margaret articulates that quite a bit in the film right. in the sense that like she wants nothing to do with him right repeatedly from the very constantly. beginning constantly yeah and i mean i i would argue and i thought about this the whole time i was watching the movie that this is actually a movie about margaret where somebody just couldn't deal with the idea of her being the main character. 
Yeah. This is a movie about... It's not, because they, they he's very clearly the main character. He's very, they're very clearly supposed to be the one we sympathize with. But the story that is actually happening here is about a, is about a widow being harassed to death. Right. All right. Frank is presented as a tragic character. And, and, Fra- and Frank is a tragic and character Margaret's, only since he is the right. cause of his own f- failings right. at all times. And Margaret's death is part of his tragedy, right? Margaret's death yeah. Margaret's okay. death means that Frank is forever stuck in his life. Uh but Margaret was never actually Frank's salvation in any no, meaningful way. I mean, he so, literally like This is literally a movie about a rapist. Right. Who then turns that behavior into some sort of weird non-consensual relationship. Right. Because we see what happens when she tries to remove him from her life. He will not go. Right. Like, he turns what is supposed to be a tenant relationship. We immediately begin the movie with him turning it into, trying to constantly trying to turn it into a sexual relationship. Right. With a woman who is very recently whose whose husband literally just died, <laughs> and like he's a he's in their house doing wildly inappropriate stuff all the time. Right. She event he eventually rapes her, and then like it manufactures this f- familiar relationship where like. I assume she just doesn't feel safe to like try to stop it because he's wildly violent. Yeah. Has no capability of expressing emotion except outside of violence. Um it it's it, it is a it is a horror movie. Um when viewed from any angle other than Frank's angle. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> but that is our main That's character. But then again, that's par for the course with all of these movies. Right. This is what... (laughs) We got... I I read the reviews for our podcast, right? And somebody was very unhappy with my review, my thoughts on Romer. And like, hello. Um, (laughs) Here we are. Um, Watch 200 of these and then tell me how you feel about... Tragic male <laughs> characters who are wildly violent or right. otherwise emotionally stunted, like can't express their feelings. It is, it is tragic that these characters are emotionally stunted yeah. and can only act out in violence. That is tragic. I don't want to underplay that, and there are plenty of examples of people in real life. It is a tragedy of the way society constructs what a man should be, and Absolutely. that is the problem. But the movies the pro- almost never deal with the fact that he is like this because society made him this way. Like right. this movie doesn't ever talk about the actual tragedy being that he is right. just a personification of, you know, machismo, right? right? Like of like yeah. this idea of just being that like he's not allowed to possess any emotion beyond aggression. Right. Now this movie does at least a little bit play at the idea that his bosses are just using him, right? Yeah. Um, but he seems to have some amount of upper hand in that 
relationship too, right? He gets right. he gets the outrageous sum that he demands, right, as payment for for this, uh, and he goes unpunished, even as he uh, breaks the nose of his own teammates yeah. for undermining him on the field uh, before he's even on the team, and then they hire him. So, right, I and, mean, you know. It, it- it it has this weird hint of class po- of uh, like that sort of like class yeah. politics in it but like he the movie seems to imply at various stages throughout it that like this is a su- this at least temporarily is a successful strategy right just walking around being just a wild asshole right um he it, gets and- he he gets the job he gets he gets the tryout for being overly violent in a fit of jealousy. He right. gets the job after being overly violent during the tryout. In right. A fit Society of rewards him for this he behavior gets, constantly. Right. Right. And that's and that's the issue, right? Frank's tragedy is that society has rewarded him for acting in the way he's acting. Not that Margaret dies rejecting him. Right. Not that he possibly murders Margaret, rejecting him. She I, dies of a brain a hemorrhage, right? There's a real serious possibility <laughs> that that's the implication, right? Like, yeah. it is very vague, but yeah, yeah I mean, she drives The correlation there is there's enough yeah. time pass that, you know, we get other things. And the and the movie's uh, timeline, um, which I really love the way the movie functions time-wise. The, the jumping back and forth, I think, facilitates yeah, the movie very it's well. It's probably the most interesting thing um, in the movie, right? Particularly for a character who's definitely suffering multiple concussions. I think it's services. Well, yeah, I mean, the best part of it, there's a whole other version of this movie where we just assume he's a super hyper unreliable <laughs> narrator. Right. Because he's just got severe brain damage and we have no mm-hmm. idea what's going on. Yeah. 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 Uh, but yeah frank is it is always and that's really every bit every bit is envy envy is frank's sin and and frank's frank's only reaction to envy is violent outburst he's envious of margaret's dead husband because of the relationship margaret has with with him because he thinks he thinks the dead husband is getting in Margaret's way of wanting to be with right. him. Right. Well, I mean, Frank uh, does the thing that we always see we see a lot in these movies where he just assumes he has a right to Margaret. Right. That, like right. she is now his. Like as a tenant in her house somehow right. like he's bought his way into her. Like she's Yeah, it's like she's, well, she's a prostitute. Dead. I'm obviously, but, yeah. Yeah. It's weird. I that, that part of this movie is I right. can't, I have a lot of trouble getting over and that. And he this shows up. Deeply upsetting part of this. He movie. shows up after he's hired and starts bragging to her about the money. The money, the money. She is very right there, explicit that uh, Weaver is giving you this money when he gave me nothing. Right. When my husband died Ruled under his Ruled my service. husband's death a suicide. Right. In the most to, dubious way possible. Right. To guarantee well, that I like got he, nothing. Yeah. Like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. Weaver's a bad guy. Yeah. And, and, and Frank is continually subservient to Weaver, uh, throughout. Um, yeah. Uh, and then even, even in the end on, on Margaret's deathbed, we get that, uh, I was reminded of, of, uh, Through Glass Darkly. You know, it's a very Bergman God 
spider yeah. on the wall, yeah. right? Uh, that that Frank smashes, um, as uh, as the uh, the ultimate culmination of his completely dead psyche at this point, right? He is re- right. is this point where he rejects everything. And that segues to, uh, to him being described as just a great ape on a football field, right? Um, because he has no more. It was the last vestiges of his emotional attachment to the world. Um, where a woman he really should not have been pursuing who reasonably rejected his pursuits. Right. And, so. and, it's, and it's very clearly, like, we need to be, like, the movie does a thing which I do not care for. Yeah. But because... She submits to what is, I can only imagine, extremely violent pressure. Right. And essentially, the, you know, we it is it is a form of abuse and it is a, it is, she is not in a consensual relationship here. Okay? Right. This is very clear. And the movie continues to make that clear. But I, at the same time, the movie telegraphs through Frank that it is, it is quote unquote a relationship, right? Like. But again, like he, it, it is, I guess, part of his tragedy that like he puts all this emotion into a relationship that doesn't actually exist. Uh, it, it is. I don't. I, I don't know. Like, if we're meant to feel bad for him about that, that like she doesn't actually care about him, but like, you know, I don't. I don't. I don't care about him, but. Yeah, it's it's really, and then like I I find the most clear indication of everything that happens when he walks out of the room where she dies, and just strolls past her children. Yeah, like he's in a daze or whatever. Fine, but like the reality of the matter is, is it goes to show you, and I and I think this is possibly one of the more conscious choices of the movie, that all the attention he paid to those children was about him right. trying to buy her right like he doesn't care about those children all that was bullshit because there's number one like there's no like if he loved those children there's no level of grief that would stop him from still loving those children you know what i mean like right there's nowhere where he would just walk past them in a daze right he doesn't care about them because he was always just buying margaret and whether that was with money or with violence, he wasn't in a relationship. He was trying to possess her as an object, right? And and the children were just a means to that end as well. And he just, just walks right past him. And it's like, I I was like, I'm at that point, I was like, oh, this fucking movie, I'm done. <laughs> Jesus. At least you were done very close to the end. So. Well, I was done really early on the movie, and <laughs> right, I just ha- like right. I have to do this podcast, so here we are. Right, Frank. Frank repeatedly. It's not just with Market. Frank tries to buy emotional involvement with other people, like yeah. uh, like the the picker Johnson, the guy who William Hartnell's character. Um, which incidentally, uh, it was seeing him in this movie that got William Hartner hired as Doctor Who. <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah, um, but Johnson, who who he calls dad at certain points, because he is the closest thing to a father figure that Frank has, and that is a, again a tragedy and meant to be tra- tragic in the 
in the story right. here. Yeah. <laughs> but it, he tries it to. Is. It is actually tragic. Yeah. I mean, it, right. it is. The problem is, yeah. Yeah. You know. Right. And he tries, he tries to, he gets the big payout and, uh, and he tries to get Johnson, uh, by more emotional involvement with Johnson before he even gets to gets home to try that same tactic with Margaret. Uh, he tries it with Johnson and says, how much of this do you want? How much of this do you want? You deserve it. You got me the job. And, and Johnson's like, I didn't do it for the money. Um, which is also weird because it's his job. So yes, he did do it for the money, but you know, <laughs> he didn't do it for the extra money, I guess. Johnson's right. not out there for, for the love of getting people killed in rugby matches. So, <laughs> Hopefully, I, I don't know. Be. Maybe he is. we don't know a lot about Johnson as a character. Uh, the fair. possibility does exist that he is some sort of very long payout psychopath. Yeah. Well, so why get people super in the rugby, <laughs> and then five to ten years later they die of a brain aneurysm? I'm the ultimate killer. Uh, <clears throat> it's it's the organization. The organized brain aneurysm is the part of it, though. Like like Frank. Frank was going to die of a brain aneurysm on his own. Like, True. I mean, just, yeah, Frank, Frank clearly has some severe blood pressure issues. Frank, uh, Frank at one point was going to get mad at the coal and punch punch the coal seam so hard he died. Yeah, uh, that was a possibility. It's really the pathway sure. Frank was on. Uh, well, no, because the conveyor belts would rescue him. <laughs> that's actually the one... The, the one thing that's kind of surprising about this movie is that the conveyor belts weren't more prominently featured. Yeah, in right, coal, right. This is, is not mines. mainly a movie about conveyor belts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> one of the characters is just a conveyor belt walking around with a hat on. Yes. Yes. Oh, always. hello, Mr. C. Vare, huh? Okay. Well, nice to meet you. Uh, this is. Imagine this the exact same movie. Uh, but all sidewalks, all travel are replaced <laughs> are by conveyors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and escalators. Love it. Uh, a <laughs> uh, lot less I'd fighting. Watch that movie. A lot less fighting. If yeah, just... I mean, nobody can, how, how can you hit somebody when they're just slowly <laughs> sliding like, away? How am I going to catch up with those guys? <laughs> <laughs> look at, look at how fast he's running. Um, oh God, I won't. I, I never walk on one through the airport and don't imagine that I'm fucking the Flash. I mean, it never happens. Right. Every right. time. Look at how fast I am. And I know my children are doing it behind me, too. Uh, of course. For that 20 <laughs> seconds, I am the fucking Flash. Uh, yes. Sorry, I was just thinking about it. It's, it's such a joyous feeling, and, and like I don't like it this really movie, is. so now I'm, like, I'm filling my heart up with the feeling of... Ten seconds of pretending you're the Flash. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. You should go to uh, wider, air, longer airports. The the Detroit airport, for instance, uh, has like a full a full half mile of the the Chicago one sidewalks. has one that yes. un, that stretches between the two underground, and it's it's a it's a it's a blast because also they've covered the walls and they've been like this the entire time I've been going there with weird neon like squiggles. Yes, yes, and so you feel like you're in right. the Speed Force. Right. It's, it's amazing. It's very good. It's very good. Uh, it's very good. Oh, uh, but yeah, it's. Frank, I think we Frank, could get Frank, rid of a lot Frank. of society's problems if that's what going most places felt like. <laughs> if you just showed up in a place where like, yeah, I'm crazy fucking fast. <laughs> I was in the speed force twenty seconds ago. 
All right, let's have this meeting now. We're good. Aye. Now that we've uh, gotten completely, <laughs> Sorry. completely off track, I, 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 which is I'm... normal for us, and I don't, I just, I, I'm feeling, I'm, I'm feeling like it's harder to recover this time for some reason. <laughs> so. It is because this, ain't, this feels like such a generic version of this kind of movie. Yeah, that we've watched so many times that, like, every time it feels just that much more artistically hollow. Yeah. Like, it's like, yeah, he's a tragic character. Society has failed him, but probably not in the way that the original author intended. You know, it's like, I I don't know. Do you think the original creator, whether it's, uh, was it Story or whether it's Anderson, wanted us to look at this from a perspective of like, well, society failed him by, by building up this hyper, like, aggressive version of masculinity that like eventually will destroy any person who submits to it. Like, is that the, the goal of the movie? The thing I feel and, and please correct me. Uh, I feel like all kitchen sink dramas, you know, the early British new wave, right. That are stories that center. Usually men who cannot fit into normal society for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and with, with, uh, uh, let's say Walter Mitty, it wasn't Walter Mitty with, a, uh, goodness. We, we Isle. mentioned at the top of the show, the other Decemberist song oh, with Billy uh, Liar, Billy Liar. Yeah. yeah. With Billy Liar, it was a younger guy who, you know, lied to, uh, get women uh and lied because he couldn't get women and so you know he's not necessarily the violent aspect of that but it's it's but that's violence too yeah it's stories of men entitled who feel entitled to the attention of the world around them yeah and which is almost always personified in a woman in these films right and to a to an extent as a rejection of normal film narrative, uh, I get that because the working class does deserve to have the attention, uh, particularly at a time when they are not getting the attention um, from uh, mainstream media. Uh, which is all the time. Which is all Let's the time. Let's just be clear here. Like, yeah. is just but, as true now as it is then. And... You know, I would be equally distraught if if this took some sort of noble savage view of the working class, which you know happens every so often. It too, does, right? it does. But but articulating in that way sends my brain in a really weird direction I know, of imagery I know. that is. Yes, I understand what you're saying, but right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we've definitely seen that movie before. Right. Um. So story story's interesting in that this is at least semi autobiographical. He shares a background with with Frank. Um Right. I mean that may be the extent. And hopefully it. he does not share a lot the wild, horrible <laughs> violence of background with Frank. But yeah. Um But Story managed to get out, right? He went to art school. 
he wrote a best-selling novel. Um, I don't know what happened in the rest of his life, and uh, as a mid-century writer, maybe maybe it's not great. I mean, he's basically um, we did watch Under also the Volcano fairly recently. Stuff, so, so yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, Anderson's more interesting uh, in that regard. I think background on life because he's uh it's the son of a royal engineer um uh an army officer in North India and uh he's uh or South India I guess um then he you know he goes to Oxford he, he he's He's got this public school upbringing um, in the British sense. Uh, and he goes to Oxford and he's, you know, we talked about this a little bit with If, I think. Oh, you know, he's uh, he's a closeted gay man when he first starts making movies. So he's he's got a, an outsider perspective, too, right? And a... Mm-hmm. a longingness to belong that eludes him uh though certainly not in the same way that frank's longingness to belong eludes him right uh but then he also uh anderson is also sort of a mirror of the french new wave in that he started a film critique magazine called sequence uh, that he worked on for 47 to 52 when he was first starting to make documentaries uh, and was a uh, you know, was a writer of film criticism long before he started making narrative film. So his background is interesting, at least, uh, but also very different to these sort of working class characters that we right. are familiar with yeah. him for. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, we get, I mean, the other movie we watched of his were not particularly working class characters. Well, they were, they were, they were a weird, that was a, there strange, are definitely, there are definitely class issues. There in are. F, I, I would right? say that like, I don't think that's the m- main narrative thrust of it though. Yeah. Um, but but it may be perhaps a lot cl- more closer to Anderson's life. I agree. I think it deals the a class lot. issues are an upper middle class guy struggling against the upper class, right? Right, and then I, I but I think that movie is mostly about it. I feel like that movie much more closely tracks to a more authentic, uh, more aware discussion of male. Uh, um, you know the violence and 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 aggression mm-hmm. of of masculinity, right? Like right. that movie is much more about that. It, I mean, this movie is too, but I don't get the imp- and this is just an impression. But I don't. This movie doesn't feel like it's commenting directly on that. Within I feel like it's a if, part of the movie, but in if it is definitely talking about yeah, that. With within if every man is a part of that struggle, uh, that structure, right? Right. Uh, Within this movie, within if every man is an active participant, right, 
in that system acting violently. Within this movie, a lot of people are passive participants or behind-the-scenes participants. They are still active participants. They're still participants, right? Well, I mean, um, we know because they, in a, in a real-world scenario, they like, in the movie, they are literally non-characters right. for right. the most part. Because this movie has very few characters. Weaver and the rest of the team ownership hierarchy are just as complacent in Frank's violent nature. Yeah, absolutely. And are using that violent nature to their own ends, right? Uh, So they are enabling it uh, for their own ends. Um, Johnson... Has uh, John, Johnson's father-son relationship with Frank is not one way, right? Frank Frank calling him dad is not the only like like John's Johnson has a sort of fatherly thing toward Frank as well, right? Um, but still, it's the flip side. You know, they've gotten him out of the mine, which is itself a thankless working-class job. And puts him into the uh, the rugby, where he immediately becomes a nouveau riche asshole too, right? Right. Well, I mean, yeah, it, it yes. And it's not. I don't want to undermine the working class nature of sports. There's a lot of money involved, but it is largely men being paid to put their health on the line for the entertainment. Right. Of and I think part of probably higher up than them. Right. Part of probably the, the sort of narrative that maybe we don't get that much in the movie because it glosses over the coal mine very, 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 very quickly is the fact that these things are basically the same. Yeah. Like these will both kill you. Right. And the people who make money off of this won't give a shit either way. Right. Is is probably I think somewhere deep in the heart of what the narrative was supposed to be, right? And the fact the fact that the mine owner owns the team, right? That Frank and is, is also always responsible for the death of the the, right. of the widows of Margaret's right. husband. Like right. it, that's that feels like it's supposed to be important, but yeah. in the actual movie, it doesn't really feel important. Right. Like when we say it all out loud, it's like, oh, this is like supposed to be class commentary right and part but of like part the movie of, is not <laughs> part of frank's further tragedy is that he never never himself realizes that right right that weaver is an enemy here um and i don't think i would have liked this movie better if it ended with frank beating the crap out of weaver no i, mean, I but, but there would be there is definitely a way to have made this movie and keep in mind the writer of the book wrote the screenplay. So we're not right. talking about right, like right. a translation error here. Yeah. Uh at least not in sort of intent. Uh but it still does feel like there is a version of this where they really dig into the fact that Weaver is the enemy here. Yeah. And this movie is not about that. This movie is about Frank being an outsider sort of though because again he's rewarded at every step 
for his violence. His violence right. doesn't actually make him an outsider. It just makes him a a, a tool that can be utilized, right? right? Like I mean, he continues he continues to be useful to Weaver at every turn, right? right? Yeah, I mean, he doesn't like. It's not like you know, even something when you get into something like Billy Lyre or something, those behaviors did make that person a true outsider. Right. And and then you and I also both know that Frank's uh, sort of aggressive masculinity, and we as an audience know, and this is probably, again, outside of the scope of the movie, is not that different from a standard behavior set. Like, the society, as far as we can tell, that the movie takes place in, and ours too, rewards that kind of violence. So that if if a society re- rewards a behavior, it's not a it's not a behavior that is uh, counterproductive. You know what I mean? Like you get rewarded for that behavior, so it doesn't really make you an outsider. What he's an outsider is is when he tries to play his nouveau riche game, right. and he does that thing that we see in other movies about sport people in sports. Later, you know, we see uh, there have been plenty of movies about this, right? Where people who came from a lower class background get suddenly access to money and kind of go hog wild. Right. It's a he's sort so, of trope of so many uncouth. many movies. Yes. Right. And and then like, you know, the people are all laughing at him and that's the error quotes I think supposed to be his tragedy. Is that Nutty. like that he tries to step up to this uh, like join this other rank of society and just they that's where he's air quotes an outsider. Right. Among the among sort of his own class, Frank is not an outsider. And He's that and, maybe more violent than other people. And that where this becomes a more broad critique of sport is that that is true, really, of the vast majority of sportsmen across the world. Right. right? That that <clears throat> no amount of money buys them the general acceptance it can they have a lot of respect as far as the abilities they bring to the field right in whatever sport it is but it is that is different than uh the actual like look at i think of i think of copernic you know right uh yeah, and particularly when Copernic first started his his kneeling while he was still, you know, he he's actively punished within his career even for for attempting to have outside interests, um, right? Right. Uh, and certainly his outside interests were uh, to uh, push against the confines of uh, institutional white supremacy. Uh, but uh, I'm reminded particularly of a lot of early arguments that would would show pictures of his house and say, well, this man has no no right to complain about oppression um, or. Uh, well, I mean, we see I mean, we can go back. Plenty, you know, there's plenty of examples of that. But, you know, I mean, Muhammad Ali is a classic right. example. Of right. Right. This right. The right that you you owe white society a debt for us deigning you with fame and fortune. Right. Yeah. We raised, well, it's the classic, like we raised you up. We can 
knock you back down right. Right. sort of thought process, right? And and certainly with Copernic and with Ali, they were knocked back down, right? Right. Uh, uh, and, uh, you know, we could... <laughs> We lump lump musical professionals in there too. Paul Robeson got got knocked back right. down in the well, same yeah, way. Well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, right. no, I mean exactly. And like right. there, we're getting and now, even deeper, and we're getting into race politics, which is even right darker right. and and right even Certainly. darker and scarier part of the woods, right? Right. But and 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 Frank doesn't make any sort of uh, class conscious political turn, <laughs> right? In in his in his downfall. Um, but, but I, I mean that all to say that, that even more broadly, um, there is a sort of stuck pathway that sports people are in and within America, it, it, class and race are so intertwined that, uh, it's hard to separate. And, you know, if we think about, we think about examples of, (laughs) of sports people who are, still stuck within that uh with that you know socioeconomic structure inevitably race is going to play into it right in, particularly yeah. in america um but but i i say that to say that even if even if frank had acted completely correctly through that dinner sequence he still would have been rejected and laughed at by those other right. people and then, because the fact that he acts uncouth is la- laughable. But if if he were a monkey in a tuxedo doing everything correctly, it would he'd still, still be laughable. laughable. Right? Yeah. Right. No. And that's and and uh, yeah, exactly. That that's kind of where I was mentally going with it as well. It's yeah. just, a, a thing we we brought up before that I I kind of wanted to loop back to was you we had talked earlier about the idea that. Um, you know, he's an outsider, and 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 one of the things that we I sort of touched on earlier is that keep in mind in these movies where we're talking about this, one of the ways that that is almost always expressed again is with a woman standing in as a sort of uh, right um, cipher for society's rejection right. of this outsider, and 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 the and we keep encountering this and it, and it generates a problem because sh- whoever the female lead is in any of these movies is always as a stand in for that is also it puts this very, and especially in modern sort of understandings and, po- and politics, we, it puts us in the sort of non enviable position of having to see a woman reject this man and tell us, and then it, the movie telling us that he's the victim. Yeah. When then in inevitably in these movies, he is inflicting some sort of violence on that woman right. because right. she is the stand in for society's rejection. And then we don't ever address the fact because again of sort of, I guess we just don't have that sort of mindset in any of these films. Don't ever address the fact that like what he's what she's going through in the movie is so much more significantly painful and difficult than what the main character is going through. Right. Like, right. yeah, I mean, his life is pretty shitty. Uh, 
she's been forced into a relationship she doesn't consent to by a wild, violent man who took over her house and eventually drives her to the point of death, whether it's through punching her or just exhausting what will to live she had left by right. just sort of sucking it out of her by being this this weird nightmare that she can't escape from, right? I mean, like, yeah. even if his punches didn't kill her, he killed her. Right. So even, you know, maybe we've implicitly said this already, but to make it very explicit, Frank is trying to force onto Margaret the relationship with hierarchy that he experiences himself, right? Yes. He, he is selling well, his the, body. This, yes, yeah. He is selling his body for profit, and it is the only way he knows how to interact with the world. So he, in turn, wishes to buy her body with those profits, right? Right. Um, and doesn't understand why she doesn't want that. Uh, right. And again, it's an internalization of broader societal norms, uh, and the norms are the issue and the norms are the tragedy. Uh, and maybe the film is more explicit about that than we're giving it credit for. You know, maybe I, I'm really struggling but. with the movie with regards to that. Like the whole time yeah. I was watching it, because it, it, right. it at times feels like it is, and then at times feels like, well, am I still supposed to feel bad for him? Right, <laughs> right. And I can't feel bad for Frank for being that, but I can feel bad for the inevitability that he would become that. You know, right? Not. Well, Not right. I mean, you can still that, feel bad that right. society made him this. Right. 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 Yeah. But again, we get into this thing that we've talked about a bajillion times in this movie. Frank is a person possessed of free will. Right. Frank doesn't have to be this. Society certainly put him on a path towards being this. Right. But, but Frank, there are other people on very similar paths who are not this within the realm exactly. of the film. Exactly. Right. Even yes, even within the film, we find yeah. we find people who are playing this sport, which is hyper aggressive, who are the themselves able to sort of isolate that behavior to right. football. Well, right. rugby in this situation, but I mean football in the parlance of the movie itself. But he doesn't because in that I guess in that sense what the that is sort of how partially the movie tells us that he is abnormal that he yeah. is tragic because he can't do that um maybe but again we we only the movie only gives us one sort of really obvious like the main manifestation of that being problematic is his relationship with Margaret which is inherently like not his tragedy but hers mm -hmm. like it, it, I, it, I in the again we've encountered this so many times in these movies that it, it it's I feel like we could like possibly just record some pre-recorded b-roll of it and you could just like splice it in we can make these episodes like 15 minutes long for our, for us they could be a full hour for the audience um because again, you just get back to this thing where, like, it, but for he, it is very hard to recognize him as a tragic figure 
because his actions are mu- result in tragedy much greater in another character in the movie. Right. I mean, again, like, not only does he drive her to death, but it also, also orphans her children. Right. Which is a whole... Not- and it's not like, again, it's not like at the end he, like, picks them up and decides, like, I have an obligation right. here. Frank's not out to redeem himself in that manner. The narrative doesn't want to redeem Frank in that manner. Right, I know. But, uh, uh, you know, I'm me. And, like, that's well, yeah, probably but, the most upsetting scene in the movie. But because personally. because the narrative's not out to redeem Frank in that manner, it says something about what right. the narrative is. Right. Um. And what what Anderson talks about with the novel that we started ahead of this, you know, the balance of the ambiguities of our nature, male and female, turnishness and violence, isolation and love. Uh, Frank is still an abnormally isolated character somehow, right? Frank has right. no visible family anywhere. What has happened to Frank's family? Frank has no friends what has happened to Frank's friends? Even the scenes of Frank's uh, Frank in the coal mine suggest Frank doesn't even have any co-workers, which is an aspect of right. the people he financed his earlier film, eliminating right, yeah. the need for co-workers, I yeah. suppose. But... This entire mine shaft is run by three individuals. Like, that's not... Which, which also can't possibly be true because Weaver would never let Frank work for the rugby team if if it meant he was using losing a third of his um, right. staff. I'm going to have to find another guy. <laughs> I'm going to have to make the guy whose job it is is to smoke and cry in the shed to go down into the mine. Do um, the whole thing yourself. I did that. <laughs> we can I, operate this with one person. Not, not explicitly, but uh, but there was a point in my life where for a summer job I was uh, – completely running the shipping department of a school supply warehouse. <laughs> Other people were actually pulling the orders off the shelves and putting them in a box, but then that box on a conveyor that got to me, and I would fill it with packing material at one station. This is like a 20-person job I was doing on my own. <laughs> send it down the line, uh, seal it, label it, send it down the line, put it on the truck. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Um, Good old conveyor belts. They made that possible. Yeah, Adam. They really, they really do. Conveyor belts are super helpful like that. Uh, but, but yeah, Frank is desperately lonely and maybe doesn't actually notice that he's lonely in a way. Um, well, he, I mean, it's hard to. I don't. I do think part of the movie is a revelation to Frank that nobody likes him. Yeah, like. We we do find out like you know, we see them with his team on the bus and he like kind of is always harassing them too, right? Like right, they're being polite, but like they clearly, I mean, they and they're in that right. sense the that acting's is pretty clear. good. Like they constantly right. telegraph like I fucking hate this guy that right. we have to spend time with. The closest Frank ever gets to actually relating to anyone is in the bathtub of the changing room. <laughs> yeah. Uh which is maybe saying something else uh, yeah, from I mean, Anderson's be, background, yeah. right? Um, which is, you know, fine, too. Uh, 
and well, I mean, again, the if, and that's, if that's plays another are that thing much about, better than this does, right. though, I mean, in that's terms a, of like that feeling. Given when this movie came out, that would be an interesting thing for Anderson to say in the way that he says it. And there are interesting things happening in this movie's use of violence for when it came out. This is a very bloody movie that came out in 1963. Yeah. Uh, and that is itself a innovation i suppose is the right word there but right i guess so yeah uh but yeah it's frank is yeah. not complicated but no and yeah but yeah. maybe the morality of this movie is <laughs> yeah i mean it's yeah i i mean i'll give the movie some credit i just you know the the issue that we like would constantly loop back is the same thing that's bothered me in so many of these other movies is that like the movie wants to pay attention to something that is important to think about, but has a severe blind spot in the way it's expressed mm -hmm. because it doesn't want to acknowledge that there's, it doesn't want to acknowledge that there's a whole nother being in the room that is, that should be important, but isn't. Right. And like, and that like, again, she, Margaret is just a weird, like, sort of like point of reflection for Frank. Right. You know what I mean? Like her existence is couched in the need to express information about Frank. Right. Um and and that's, you know. Now there is there is then the perhaps more unique aspect of the British New Wave is its association with the angry young man author. Um Right. And by its nature, that is an indictment of broader society, right? Um, now, now it is usually the angry young man indicting a broader society, but right. but at the same time, um, you know, uh, Billy Liar, and we'll keep coming back to that because it's it's the other prominent example of this era of British film that we have, uh, and the style of British film that we have. And and this are an indictment of particular people, um, and it is tragic that they are in the way they are, even though they are not doing anything heroic by any means, even up till the end of the narratives. Uh, but the thrust of the movie, this one in particular, less so maybe with Billy Liar, um, but the thrust of this film isn't just Frank's failings. The The broader context of this film are the failings of the society around Frank. Right. Right. But I, I would argue that this movie does a less, a less than ideal job of painting that picture. Right. It, it, there, there's a, a universe where this movie goes much, much harder. And and it feels like it plays, it I as an indictment of society, it is okay. But I feel I, I mean agree. I I just don't feel like it, it doesn't like it doesn't really really go at it. You know what I mean? Like it kind of like I I, I have trouble articulating exactly why I feel that way. Except for it's just like. Yeah, because we never get an explicit but, indictment of anyone above Frank. Is right, why, exactly. Why like it we feels get, that we way. get, 
like them tittering at him and like yeah. talking about him behind his back, and they're clearly just buying his violence and his eventual death. Right, right. Like that's all he, part of it of the sub of the subtext, but it's not when like, he presents come on, the man. when he presents the paycheck to Margaret. And she actually lashes out about Weaver is the closest we really come to right. that sort of thing. Right. And that could have been the whole thing. Right. Right. But, but like, that... Again, the making that that connection, that three-way connection about right. Weaver... And that's the emotional turn explicit. of their relationship, really, is that Weaver's shadow uh, is, is the frame by which we have the shadow of her husband's death. Right. Uh, but the movie is not incredibly intent. It wants to leave that as subtext. The subtext yeah, exists, and, but it wants to leave that as subtext. Right. Yeah. And 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 maybe you and I have just been have just reached a point where like I don't want subtext <laughs> anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just time, fucking say Time it. to rub your nose in it, society. Come on. Yeah. Like, come on. <laughs> what is this shit? Yeah. And there are movies like that. That's the thing. There are movies like that. And this is just not one of them. And, you know, you know, say what you will. Like, this is a podcast mostly about how you and I feel right now. Mm-hmm. And right now I feel like I want movies that don't just leave it as subtext. Right. And, and you know, will I feel that way five years from now? I don't know. Maybe. This this podcast <laughs> right. has a, been a significant right. exploration of our growth as people. And our relationship with film narrative. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. And, yeah, and, and radicalization and things like that. And, like, right. Right. Frank will die the pawn that Frank has lived his entire life as. Right. And that is right. a tragedy. But the movie doesn't really, really say that's a tragedy. It kind of sort of hints at it in a dramatic By way of other tragedy. Yeah, by the way of of murdering a woman. But yeah, I mean. Yeah. And that that just reduces Margaret to a metaphor for Frank's relationship with broader society. Yeah. And that doesn't feel good. Yeah. Yeah. And we're tired of it, frankly. And I'm tired of it, yes. Yeah. Really, really tired of it. I'm sure right. we will watch a hundred more of them, 200 more of yeah. them. Boy, there sure were a lot of these kind of books. <laughs> uh, yeah. Hey, next week we get kind of a reprieve from this. I almost guarantee it. Okay. Uh, next week we uh, we also have a very interesting experience as far as the Criterion Collection itself goes. <laughs> okay. I have not looked. I'm now very excited. Yeah. We are uh we will be in part of a box set called Four by Agnes Varda. However, two of the films in that box set we watched years ago and will not be rewatching as part of the box set, um, uh, because we handle films as they are, uh, not necessarily as box sets because of the way we handle spine numbers really is how it goes. Yeah. I mean um, those spine numbers are the so, spine numbers they already have. So yeah, Cleo from five to seven and Vagabond were both uh, Agnes Varda films that we watched uh, quite a bit ago. Uh, and uh, next week um, we'll be talking about uh, La Pointe Couture, or I'm sorry, La Pointe Court, 
rather. Um, and then uh, bon, Le Bon Hair. Uh, I am really bad on French pronunciation this morning. Uh, I don't think I did either of those. I don't think you want to know what mine sounds like. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Uh, but from 1956 and 1965, respectively, both directed by Agnes Varda, who uh, as a presage to the French New Wave and the uh, uh, the alternative to yeah. the French New Wave. Right. Uh, I'm trying to remember. I was not very nice about Cleo 5 to 7 just because I didn't like its structure, but now I feel like bad about it because I have a feeling I, I probably... It's probably better uh, than I one, gave it credit for. Uh, one of our supporters, I believe it was Christopher Otto, recently asked me about Cleo from 5 to 7, uh, and that uh, presaged me uh, re-watching it, which is not something I've done a lot with Criterion films so far. Right. And in re-watching it, I, I think I understood it a little better, um, and, uh, and maybe we'll, we'll end up talking about this more in depth at a different time. <laughs> <laughs> that might not right. be recorded, um, but uh, but yeah, it's uh, it is a very good movie, and and I would encourage you to rewatch it, particularly I'm, I'm in Cleo's I, I, relationship with the uh, with the man she meets toward the end of the relationship, and that they right. are both they are both stuck in the society that they are stuck in uh, because she finally meets a guy she connects with, and he's about to be shipped out to Afghanistan of all places, right? Uh, he is right. He is I, yeah, I feel like drafty, I should, I'm probably yeah. a draftee in a French imperialist war in the same way that she is a draftee in a French imperialist uh, societal <laughs> structure. Yeah, so, I, I yeah. think I should watch it again. I, yeah. I, I think we gave it pretty short shrift the last time. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I think we liked its style, but didn't really think about the implications of the story right. that much. Right. And and, and it was of, long enough ago at. Uh, what spine number was it? It was uh, seventy three. Yeah. So yeah, that was that. So that was seven a years lot ago. Of changes, yeah. Uh, in our so, thought yeah. process, so I yeah. I think it's probably right. worth a rewatch. Right, right. I have explored other Varda work, and I am very interested in Varda as a as a creator. Um, she's done. She's done. Some well, really maybe good these stuff. two next ones will be moments yeah. of possibility for redemption for us. Right. people oh, hopefully fingers crossed uh but yeah we definitely look very to cantankerous that. these days so you know <laughs> also true I, also as I soon as know. we as soon as we uh as soon as we finish the varda box set we go back to another goddard film so oh, son of a bitch <laughs> right uh but yeah how many goddard films are there for real uh <laughs> i'm going to his filmography right now because like it feels like it's infinite I I believe Goddard made at least one film a year his entire oh life. Oh my god! Also, it's he's so still long. alive. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh my god! It's actually not as bad. It's it it's nowhere near your average friend or uh, Japanese uh, filmmaker, though. I right, mean, right. There's a lot on here, but is it three films a year? No, it's not. Right. So it doesn't have the same overwhelming feeling as when you load up any generic Japanese director and you're like, well. Wow, seven hundred films, huh? Okay, <laughs> gonna need some sort of compilation or something here, right? Uh, they have it divided based on the era of filmmaking. Oh yeah, Goddard. Goddard they has have early short films, then they have French New Wave, right? And then 
like political film. This is a really interesting way to divide his. I don't right. feel like they have. I've ever seen a filmography on Wikipedia done this way. Yeah, Goddard's Wikipedia filmography is weird. Anyway, this week we have been talking about this sporting life from uh, Lindsay Anderson, 1963, based on the 1960 novel, the same name by David Story, who also adapted the screenplay. Uh, next week, as I said, we are getting into that Varga box set that I look very much forward to. Uh, thank you so much for listening to Lost in Criterion. I am, as always, Liam Glass. With me, as always, John Patrick Oritari Dorgan. I'll see you next time. Listening to Lost in Criterion, hosted by John Patrick Owatari Dorgan and the Adam Glass, who edits it. We're a production of WithTwoBrains.com. Jonathan Hape does the music. Check him out at JonathanHape.bandcamp.com. And hey, if you like us, why don't you give us a review on iTunes, like us on Facebook, and support us on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash lost in criterion. We'd appreciate it.